You can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, well, you might find. Jennifer Loving. I'm 47. Today is September 6th, 2017. I'm at my office here at Destination Home, and Charles is my friend and doctor and Creek husband. Very good. <laughs> my name is Charles Preston, and I'm of an undetermined age. And what is today's date, honestly? I just said it. It's the 6th. Sorry, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> it's the 6th of some month, and I'm at Jennifer's office, and she is my Creek wife. We use those terms, right? So let's start with that. Why Why do you call me your Creek Creek? creek? <laughs> why do you call me your Creek wife? Um, I don't know when we came up with that. We used to go down to this big encampment. It was one of the largest ones in the United States, and... You came down to help people with housing, and then we sort of became tour guides to to the homeless, and so people with money and power could come and see how bad it was. And, and I went down to the demonstration to get my fair share of abuse. In San Jose, we have homeless people pretty much everywhere, in front mm-hmm. of, like, really in front of most houses, somewhere. Maybe not Los Altos or something like that. But most places have, like, homeless people right out front. Why do you think people say, I don't want them to live in my neighborhood, when they're already living there? I think they're scared. And they think the problem, the solutions to homelessness look like the problem. And I think, actually, a good question for you is what's coming up over and over and over in the community meetings that I'm at right now are people with severe mental illness. Yeah. And... How are, how, what is the right response to people who say, well, I'm scared that person is mentally ill because to, for people that says they're dangerous, they're unpredictable, they don't know what they're, you know, there's, it's, it's terrifies people. Mm-hmm. What, what's the right answer for that? Why? Well, our department of mental health doesn't seem to care. So we just let people wander the streets, even though they're really quite ill. So, is that a local thing or a national yeah. law well, it's thing? Probably, I mean, it's honestly. probably national. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> my niece is back in New York. She's got the same problems that we do. That there's just not not enough <clears throat> support and back of good mental health treatment because people still think, like homelessness, that it's the person's fault. That if you were a stronger character, you wouldn't be having this problem. Mm-hmm. Where that's just never been proven and mostly biological, while there is some influences from your environment, it's still mostly biological, particularly if you get to the point where you're so sick that people are afraid of you. What but do people need, misunderstand? We, we don't have places for people for, like that. Do you think that there's some guy walking around, fully schizophrenic, who just is in his own little world that wouldn't prefer to be someplace where he's, he's not burnt to a crisp by the sun and is out of water and doesn't have any place to pee and I think somebody actually wants to live like that but there's no other options we used to have them in the 70s you could you could go to a supportive housing place where 
you'd have a sense of autonomy, you'd have your own little place, but, you know, there'd be people helping you and checking up on you. When you say places like that, do you mean facilities that are locked? No. So no. aren't there a lot of board and carers? I'm not saying anything yeah, 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 is yeah. sufficient, but isn't that the same or no? It's not. Um, it's similar if they had trained staff, but they don't. They don't have trained staff or regular board care with people without, you know, just need their meals met. They can't even cook a decent meal most of the time. So, <clears throat> yeah, if you had proper, properly trained staff. But a board and care, a decent one in this area, is like many thousands of dollars a month. And we couldn't afford to. So it's for people with money that can get their family member into that board and care? Is that how that works? Yeah. Like with anything, it comes down to economics. Yeah. I went down to the Chelsea drugstore to get your prescription filled. I was standing in line with Mr. Jimmy. used to go to the jungle we saw a lot of things um and part of why i think i I feel so close to you and some of the others is because you go through sort of a shared experience together of and even doing these interviews i think some of the memories have come back where it's like some of this stuff was really traumatizing and that's so privileged to say because i wasn't living it right right um a couple things with you stand out in particular so well i was going to ask you what stands out for you from our time together oh i don't know i mean Mostly, so the the encampment was probably a couple hundred people when we first started there. And then when people started to find out that there was some housing options, it just easily got to be 300 before the drop of a hat. And then, but you know, my actually the most interesting thing that happened by going down there was to look at the sense of community and how when we tried to take people out of that and put them into housing, that we were actually taking them away from the only support system that they really had. It was, of course, a dysfunctional support system, but it was it. Mm-hmm. And people talked about that a lot. They're like, I don't want to be here, and I don't really want to be around people who have these kind of problems, but I don't have anybody else. Mm-hmm. And so then we would house them, and then there would be some problems around that. But at the same time, you know, a lot of people, I think the more chronic homeless people really relied on that commu- sense of community as opposed to the shorter-term three to five-year people. The ten-year people really just seemed to, that was it. That was their family. And the guilt, too, I think people felt like if they were getting out, they were leaving their friends behind. Yeah. No, and that's true. And then they would lose their housing because of that, because how can I, and I I dealt with a lot of people who saw them for therapy once they got housed, and it's horrible. They felt guilty laying on a bed, and so they'd sleep on the floor even though there's no real good reason. There's nobody there watching them, but they still felt bad, and, and they let people come over, and bad I remember would happen. one of our caseworkers told me about a guy that we housed out of the jungle who set up his tent in his living room. Dear God. Because that was it. That yeah. was normal. Yeah. You know, and another woman, I don't know if you remember this, because I think she talked to us both about it, but she didn't want to turn on any lights. Yeah. Because she didn't want to have a PG&E bill because she didn't know how she was going to pay for it. And we were trying to explain it's okay. First of all, you're going to have a bill even if you don't turn on any lights. And second of all, that's going to be part of your rent. Like, we have, you know what I mean? Right. We're going to help you with that. But they just didn't know. Like, people don't ever think about what it means to recover from homelessness. No. I remember one guy had a coffee pot and he threw it out. Not because it didn't work, but because he couldn't 
figure out how to work it and felt so stupid and just assumed that everybody knew how to use a coffee pot. But so some of that was like, no, that was a pretty complicated coffee pot and it's okay not to know it, but bring it in and tell us. But there are a lot of people recently have hid all of that stuff. They didn't want to look stupid or weird or ungrateful in any way. So and the one guy who unplugged his phone because he got a really big phone bill. And so that's how he disconnected his phone. He just unplugged it, but the bills kept coming. So he did what he normally did, which was just ignore them until it became a really big problem. Somebody's toilet quit. So they did the, the plastic bag in the toilet and then started throwing the plastic bags outside the window because they didn't want to tell the landlord that... They didn't want to get in trouble. Yeah. And then, you know, he got into a lot of trouble because there was a bunch of bags of stuff outside his window. It really is so complicated. It it's, is. It, and and the, the mercy and the grace that I think of that's required on both sides to understand that there's a fragility, right, in the mm. recovery and for people to understand that the people that are recovering to understand that, you know, we may not know, <laughs> you right. know, like we may not know, but the trust of being able to ask. Yeah. And I think that's hard. And I don't, I don't really know how to fix that part where we just anticipate these problems and try to help people along the way because you don't want to force them into something like that. They don't need it. But at the same time, you want to make sure that it's there so that they feel comfortable enough saying, I don't know how to do this. Or <clears throat> The biggest thing that I've heard over and over again about getting housed is when whoever brings them into the place hands them the keys and leaves. And that is the most dramatic thing. Like, people just fall apart because they're like, what now? It's all quiet. It hasn't been quiet in years. So much <clears throat> anticipation, energy, right. build-up work and to get into is, that home. Right. And this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Everybody keeps telling me, and I believe it too, you know? It's been my dream forever. It's been my dream to get off the streets and to get housed, and then it's like, holy shit, now what do I do? How do I even cope with this stuff that I, don't, I haven't had to deal with in a long time? And I don't know if we prepare people enough for that. I try to do it when I know that somebody's moving in. It's like, this is going to be scary, and let's go through it and help them and maybe have a radio and some furniture that makes it a little better. But How important is mental health support in these transitions? I mean, this is what you do, right? So, yeah. Well, I think it's important, but <laughs> I'm a psychologist. I don't know that you need a psychologist to do a lot of this stuff, but you do need to understand that this is the thought process that people go through and that we need to anticipate these things and try to provide some kind of service before it becomes a traumatic thing to become housed. We want to minimize that part. It's traumatic enough being homeless. You don't want to make it also difficult the first day of being housed. I think at some point it would be nice if we had different types of transitional things where people were really not independent at all and then you slowly work them towards different things and which might include jobs and we would try the shelter right but people wouldn't go no one will go to a it shelter. was like but that is that interim option right go there at least it is. it's too big it's some too, structure yeah. right but like that but smaller I, I think so we do hotels yeah like a hotel i think a hotel with somebody there or more than somebody there that can really help engage people and talk to them and build a new sense of community outside of whatever the homeless community was and start there and then figure out what kind of services might be helpful.
you see? I did. Have you seen my prescription that Dr. Sarah gave me? Yes. My prescription for one supportive housing unit. I'm so proud. I know it. Dr. Roosevelt used to talk about doing these too. Mm-hmm. Someday. Oh, Jim Withers. You know the head of the yeah. street medicine thing. He was always talking about that too. So. I love it. I mean, yeah. I love that. I love. I love what has happened and where we're going. And I know that it's flawed, and we have a lot of better work to do and more fine tuning. Yeah. But it's been pretty remarkable to see housing being treated like medicine. Yes, it, because it is. Because you can't do. It's really hard to do anything if your basic needs aren't met. And one of them is just a roof over your head. Mm-hmm. You know? And you can't get better without it. Like, how do you get... No. How do you recover? How do you, right. How do you treat diabetes when you're on the street? I mean, really. Is that going to be your big priority or are you going to eat what somebody gives you? You're going to say, oh, that's a little high in carbs. I don't think I can have that today. Yeah, or you're no, gonna you're going to eat it available. because it's there. In the same way. It's like, why do I want to take these meds that's going to change the way that I feel when it doesn't really matter one way or another. When the way I feel has a lot to do with how I'm having to live right now. <laughs> right. 